Hello and welcome to the Geek Standing Boyle Retrospective Podcast, where our UK team will be looking through the entire cinematic work of director Danny Boyle in chronological order, from his 1995 debut Shallow Grave to this year's Trainspotting 2. We'll have a new podcast up every Wednesday and every Saturday leading up to the US release of T2 on March the 17th. Warning, this podcast contains strong language and spoilers throughout, and Geeks and Tessellate do not represent any of the companies or creative talents involved with any of these films. This podcast is 100% unofficial and independent. Geeks! Geeks! Hello and welcome to the 11th episode in the Geeks Daniel Boyle Retrospective Podcast, where we go all the way through Daniel Boyle's entire filmography from his 1995 debut Shallow Grave up until Trainspotting 2, which comes out in America March the 17th. This is our 11th episode where we're focusing on Steve Jobs. I'm your host, Al White, and joining me for all of Danny Boyle films, not the Steve Jobs films, <laughs> as I may have said Correct. accidentally in a post of this that was deleted, Ruka. Abe. Yep. yep. <laughs> and Alison. Holland. Congratulations, you both know your second name, so I'm proud of you. Um, I gave the date wrong. We, so, okay, people behind again, we just recorded the first five minutes of this and found out two mics weren't working, so we had to delete it and start again. Uh, but it's good I'm we glad did. you still pointed out your mistake. Oh, it's good to own up to your mistakes. <laughs> yes. um, it's important we did because I read it for some reason in 2013, but that was, of course, the last film. I 2015. was confused oh. that that was the same year. Yeah, no, no, it was not 2015. I and I kept thinking in my head, how point. could it have been 2013? Because I yeah. know stuff that was going on in my life that wasn't happening at that point. And right. his other wonderful movie, Trance. Yes, yes, yes. It was very How busy. could he possibly have made Trance at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that would have explained that movie more if he had made two films. Took. That year. <laughs> Uh, 2015 was Steve Jobs, one of uh, Danny Boyle's longest films at two hours, two minutes. Uh, also his second biography, uh, or true life story, uh, written by Aaron Sorkin, based upon a book by Walter Isaacson, starring Michael Fassbender, Kate Winslet, Seth Rogen, Jeff Daniels, Michael Stolberg, um, Stolberg Catherine Waterson, Perla Haney, Jardine, Ripley Sobo, Mackenzie Moss, Sarah Snook, John Ortiz, Adam Shapiro, I've heard some of these names before. It might have been because I just read them a few minutes ago. Possibly. Adam Shapiro. I know him from something. What do I yeah, know him from? Name rings a bell. Now you see me, a single man. Sensei. An entertainment. Okay, there you go. And f- fucking people as well. <laughs> Any film does well. That film's got to do well. Um, so, yeah. I was, gonna, I was reading the plot uh, summary, which we're cobbling together a little bit. Steve Jobs takes us behind the scenes of the digital revolution and the career and personal life of Apple founder Steve Jobs, told through three important product launch presentations from 1984, 1988, and 1998. We see how he got there, the ingenuity behind the products, what makes Jobs tick, the personal issues he was facing at the time, and how he dealt with them. So, yeah, this is the... I've seen this at the cinema um, in 2015. I had conflicting um, feelings about it. Um, but we were telling everyone to go see it because it wasn't making much money. Or so I thought, but then, yeah, we were just talking about this, looking at it. It did okay. So it cost $30 million to make, the biggest budget we uh, that Danny Boyle had had uh, up until that point. And it made $18 million domestic gross, another sort of 16.5 to 17 million foreign, culminating at nearly $35 million. So making its money back, uh, which is more than you can say for quite a lot of his films, to be honest, yeah. uh, at the cinema. But it was struggling a bit, even though it was critically, hugely acclaimed. Uh, Haruka, you said you hadn't seen this? No, um, this was the first time. And um, yeah, I don't really, I can't really recall hearing much about it when it came out. Um, yeah. Okay. 
Um, and Allison, you had not seen it. I had not seen it. Um, but, but I had heard a lot of people talking about it. Right. And it was always just the opposite ends of the spectrum of really, really loving it and saying you have to go see it and just really disliking it. Hmm. Mm. So Yeah, I remember there were some walkouts in my theater when I went to see it. Um, for sure and yeah there was definitely a spectrum of people who either were crazy for it or who hated it yeah. i came out of it the first time so i mean this movie felt like it was tailor-made for me when i first saw about it i love what they call missed movies which are men in suits talking <laughs> i love movies just of <laughs> people talking um i love Aaron Sorkin with a huge passion i love danny boyle for the most part with a huge passion and I was incredible and I love Michael Fassbender with huge passion mm -hmm. and Kate Winslet as well to be honest yeah. um, so the only thing about this that was a red flag initially was Seth Rogen I also love Jeff Daniels who's proven himself in Aaron Sorkin with the newsroom mm -hmm. um, so I was crazy critic excited the trailer looked beautiful and really really cool um, and I loved Aaron Sorkin's previous um, autobiography about the digital age which was The Social Network uh, even though it was directed by David Fincher so I was really excited for another film like that um, so when I went to see this movie I came out really confused. So we went to cinema. We were late, as we tend to always be when we're going to, you know, that one with the Dave and Busters? Down below. You come to that cinema with us, haven't you? On the way, sort of, towards the airport, yeah. With that big target and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we went there, and we always seem to be late for some reason when we go there, and we're running to, into the I cinema. I like freeways, maybe. Yeah, that might be it. Uh, and we missed the first sort of four minutes of it, mm. so the whole intro. So we came in, and he's midway through that initial big scene with him and Kate Winslet Aww. and they're just like barking at each other. That's mm. such a good one. And I love Aaron Sorkin dialogue so much and I was so bathed in the newsroom and West Wing again at that point um, that I was initially like, I don't know what it was. There was some reason walking into that scene, it felt really bad. Like it really did. It felt like the delivery from both of them wasn't good. They weren't getting how to deliver Aaron Sorkin dialogue. Because mm -hmm. Aaron Sorkin dialogue, when it's not said right, it's like Shakespeare. It's like people aren't understanding what they're saying. Mm. And th he has a certain beat in the rhythm. Because mm. no one talks the way Aaron Sorkin writes dialogue. It's not real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like Tarantino. It's just, it's not the way people really talk. Yeah. But it's wonderful when you hear it delivered properly. Mm. And uh, Jeff Daniels apparently was teaching everyone on set like how to deliver it properly and they all look at, looked up to him because he does it so well in the newsroom and he was explaining it. It's like waves sort of thing. You have to like get on top of the crest and ride it and if you don't, it'll just drown you. Mm. Um, and that's how I really felt when I walked in halfway through that scene. I was like, oh, it feels awkward and still did and I'm not. Like this is the first time I've heard Aaron Sorkin dialogue delivered badly. And so it made me uneasy. And then I didn't understand how the film was set up. So before we watch it this time, it's why I said to you guys, think of it like theater, not like a film. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested if, like how that played with you guys, mm -hmm. because I really strongly feel this is a theater piece. Like this is something, it's set in three very distinct sections, like mm -hmm. very purposefully, like three launches. You're basically in about half an hour before each launch, or, well, sorry, each reveal of a new product that he's doing. Mm -hmm. And they uh, very purposely cram all of these characters, reoccurring characters over a 14 year period into this half an hour before every launch, which is nonsensically unbelievable. Like it's so contrived and ridiculous that every time his like partner who built the you know original computer with him would always turn up, his boss who was like his sort of substitute father would always turn up, his daughter would always turn up, his ex-wife would always be like, and the same characters would just keep turning up half an hour before every single time <laughs> he was about to go on stage. 
and they have that line later in the film where he says like I don't know what it is about like these launches people yeah, tend right to go to a bar get drunk one. and mm. turn up and tell me how they really feel <laughs> <laughs> and that was the only point where I got to that point in the film was like oh okay they know what they're doing they realise this yeah. is ridiculous and contrived um, but once I appreciate it as like if this was a theatre piece I wouldn't even second think that it's like well three simple locations they're basically in one place most of the time mm-hmm. and in theater you have to like you don't have the choice of lots and lots and lots of constant locations and things so you'd quite often theater will shove you know contrived situations to have mm-hmm. the conversations you need and once i started reflecting on it after i'd seen the film like that i started to appreciate it a lot, lot more I, I loved it when i saw it but i just had that problem of this it doesn't feel organic or natural or real which was weird um yeah so like i i entered into it this time very much looking at it like that like appreciating okay this is a fantastical way to portray something very mundane basically Mm. um how were you guys with the structure of it not the actual film necessarily but just how it's divided up and what it's doing um for me it didn't feel like it was like um fantastical um to me i don't know maybe it's because like you i think you mentioned before that it's like, you know, like it's in three parts and it's um, set like half an hour before product launches, blah, blah, blah. So maybe I already, because I already knew that's, that okay. was what's going to happen. So I did, to me, it didn't really feel that theatrical, but um, because I knew what was going on, um, I, I didn't struggle okay. um, to adapt and yeah, get into the world. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't find it difficult really either. And maybe it's because going into it, we you told us, think of it as a theater piece, not as a movie. Um, but yeah, I also was expecting it because it was so split between just among people that I had spoken to about who liked it and who didn't. I Usually when that happens with a longer movie, I go into it and part of it will drag on. So I was expecting some of it to feel really long. And then I was actually surprised when it ended. Because mm. I was assuming we still had at least like 20 to 30 more minutes. Mm. Okay. So it didn't drag on for me. Cool. That's Aaron talking writing. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yes. Definitely is. Um, yeah. No, it's just interesting because I, I like at the time there was a lot of criticism as well because people didn't like how it was divided up and stuff. And mm. I, I actually really love it, but it definitely helps me not knowing it. I think if my problem was going in expecting the social network and the social network mm. is a film. Mm. And then you could easily approach Steve Jobs in the same way as Social Network and have a proper film and show him in the garage with the guy and how they build it up and when he meets the, you know, do a more traditional narrative and show multiple scenes. Mm. And they don't. They very purposely choose to, yeah, make it theatrical mm. and put it in three lumps and yeah. just push everything into that kind of thing, which mm. isn't realistic. It's obviously not how it really happened in real life mm. at all, even if the relationships, uh, from what I've read, are correctly conveyed in the film kind of thing. Right. Which I think is an interesting decision. And something else I really, um, I appreciate we're not really talking about the film's bits yet, but just how it's tackling someone. I have a big problem with biographical films a lot of the time because Hollywood tends to want, I mean, a lot of, I think partly a lot of successful people have similar stories to their life coming from struggle. And then when we tell the stories, we like to compress them in the same ways of showing them coming from nothing and adversity and then their build to something and then their failure and then their success Mm. and then people finally, you know, greet them. And it's just a, we like to fit it into the hero's journey structure of films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I get, I find it kind of tedious and it makes me roll my eyes at great people who've done great things that I shouldn't roll my eyes at yeah. just because I'm tired of seeing historical films done the same way. Mm-hmm. 
And a lot of people I know had a problem with this movie because it doesn't really tell you much about Steve Jobs to do with what he's known for. It doesn't tell you mm. how he came up with any of ideas. It doesn't mm-hmm. tell you how he came up with his most like... Because you, you miss out the beginning bit where they've made the Mac 2, mm-hmm. which was the really successful thing. Mm-hmm. And then they miss out everything afterwards, which is really the defining thing of Apple and what they did mm, afterwards. Yeah. And instead they just showed the struggle of him in that middle like period for 14 years. Um, just sort of yeah, trying to hit a nail against a wall eventually. And I really, it was something that took me a while to reflect on after the first time, but I really actually love a biographical movie that here is not telling me anything about stuff I could just learn from reading a newspaper or reading, you know, just any article on actually the contraptions that he made. Like, I don't mm-hmm. need to know about the computers. I don't need to know. I, like, I'm just more interested to get these little microcosms of what it's like to talk to him how people related to him, how he acted in a conversation with family, with friends, with, you know, strangers and work colleagues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that work for you? Like a film where you're not really learning about the guy's life. You're just learning about how he relates to people. I mean, for me, like, what's the, mo- the, the most important thing in, like, films is um, learning about the personal issues and struggles and that kind of stuff rather than their lifetime achievement because I can do that by watching documentaries and stuff Mm -hmm. so to me like it was a perfectly told story about a guy you know and everything else was kind of secondary which was yeah which I liked Yeah. yeah I agree I definitely like knowing more about the person and their relationships and things like that just because that's how I decide if I like someone and even if I might not like them, finding things to relate to them about. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, I feel the same way with actors, with, you know, anyone who's in a public eye, I'd rather see, have a conversation with somebody to kind of get a glimpse of who they are as a person and not mm-hmm. just understand what they've done and what people know them for. Um, and I haven't seen the Ashton Kutcher ones. I don't know if what they tackle and how he's portrayed or anything, but I think most filmmakers or screenwriters or anybody would have, immediately given the opportunity to write something about Steve Jobs tackled the later half just because that's what people think about when they think Steve Jobs. Mm. So I think this is a less, maybe less popular part of his life to mm-hmm. tackle, but I think more interesting. Mm. But yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that was actually another big problem it had at the time was Jobs, which was the Ashton Kutcher film, had only come out two years prior. Mm-hmm. Right. And it bombed and not done very well. Like, it wasn't abysmal, apparently, but it wasn't mm-hmm. a great film. Um, I've never seen it. Uh, it says here on IMDb that, that that film tells the story of Steve Jobs' ascension from college dropout into one of the most revered creative entrepreneurs. It right. seems more like it's trying to do the social network. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Probably with, like, Bill Gates and stuff as well. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Uh, yeah, and I remember, yeah, I think that just left a bit of a sour taste in people's minds. And the fact that that one was called Jobs and this one's just called Steve Jobs, it's like it's easy to get them confused. Or mm-hmm. like, well, we've already had that movie and I didn't go and see that one. Why did I go and see this one kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hard sell, I think, for people. When did he um, pass away again, Steve Jobs? Steve Jobs. I was wondering that too. Is it I think it was 14? 2014. 2014, okay. No, sorry, 2011. Oh, 11. Wow, it's been a while now. Yeah, okay. So let's get into the meat of it, shall we? Um, so it kicks off actually with a, a collection of 
sorry, it kicks off immediately with an interview with Arthur C. Clarke, um, the science fiction writer who is talking about how computers are going to rise, not rise up literally like Terminator, <laughs> but they're going <laughs> to rise up in, around the world and become this integral part of people's lives. And, um, and then the interviewer actually asks him if he thinks that's going to be like a negative thing. Um, and he's saying how nobody's going to allow people to work from anywhere and do things wherever and give people freedom if used in the right ways as well as having some negative like points of view. Um, and we get that even before the company logos come up, which I find interesting. You can hear Arthur C. Clarke talking just while darkness is on screen before even anything happens. Mm. Um, which is, And then you get a very, quite a held back opening, I feel, for Danny Boyle. It's very elegant mm. and mature, which yeah. I... I find the whole film is there's a few flourishes in there which are Danny Boyle mm-hmm. but on most part this is another film which doesn't feel very Danny no. Boyle yeah it's incredibly restrained mm-hmm. um, and kind of feels like a yeah, director who's in his late 50s which is kind of refreshing to see him do mm-hmm. one where he's not being young <laughs> um, and then we kick off in 1984 with the beautiful shots of the red seats in the theatre which I really like which just sets mm-hmm. the whole stage of like we're going to be in these theatres throughout the whole film mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed at all, but there's a really cool filmmaker thing about this film. Did you notice it? Through these uh, three segments? Is it to do with uh, what f- what film they shot it on? Yeah. Because the, the earlier one was like more grainy, so I assume it was like on 60mm or something. Yeah, and then exactly. the more recent one was 35 yeah. So 60mm, then the second part they went to 35mm, and then the last part they went to digital. Ah, oh, right, right, right. Um, and it's really cool because after the second part, they actually show that by showing 35mm coming out of the spokes and like flipping off screen and then it all uh. digitizes and breaks up like all fucked up before it pulls itself together and we turn digital which yeah. is a cool Danny Boyle thing to do um, and it's also great because it's not just fun on the filmmaking level um, but it also signifies the era of digital coming around obviously and computers mm. become more relevant and, mm. and email um, yeah become more relevant so I love that line in the film where he's like oh I presume you can only email other people who have one of these yeah. <laughs> yes, completely close <laughs> just like AOL remember AOL you can only yes. email other people with AOL to begin with yep it's great um, <laughs> so then we're thrown straight in 994 Apple Macintosh 128Ks voice demo fails less than an hour before it's unveiling at Flint Center Apple co-founder Steve Jobs demands engineer Andy Hertzfeld fix it threatening to publicly implicate him in the presentation's credits if he does not Hertzfeld uh, finally suggests faking the demo using a prototype Macintosh 512K computer during all of this, we have him getting into a paternity dispute with his ex-girlfriend, Kristen Brennan, who denies he, is, uh, he denies he's the father of Brennan's five-year-old daughter, Lisa. He also denies that he named the computer uh, Lisa. Uh, she's bitter over the denials of this refusal, and sorry, his refusal also to, to support her uh, despite his wealth. Um, but then Jobs bonds over Lisa when she's doing some Mac paint art on his new computer. <laughs> and agrees to provide more money and a house. Um, while Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak uh, asks Jobs to acknowledge the Apple II team in his presentation, but Jobs feels that mentioning that age-technically obsolete computer is unwise. I'm going to lump all these into one big thing because it moves around so much. Mm-hmm. It feels mm-hmm. better just to go, okay, these are the things that happened in that, that one. Yep. Um, so I feel like the film does such a great job of immediately showing us Steve's personality. Mm-hmm. They launch you into that conversation with Kate Winslet, um, who I think is fucking amazing in this film. Mm. She's incredible. Yeah, I didn't recognize her at first. I didn't yeah. either, and I was waiting for it for her, Kate Winslet to appear because I knew she was in it. And oh, then right. 
I was her accent is perfect. It's so great. Mm-hmm. And then I think the third one when she or at some point when she has her hair longer and yeah, curlier, I was like, oh, oh shit, it's her. But yeah, you immediately get how belligerent he is. You also get how he can be incredibly cruel and mm-hmm. very cold and like yeah, threatening people. Um, but it also shows you his weaknesses. You immediately see like when you hear like the applause from the theater just like off stage and he's just enraptured by it straight away. Mm-hmm. And they show that weird dichotomy of him of how, and he says it later on in the film, but how he doesn't seem to want anyone's approval. He doesn't want anybody to like him. He doesn't care if people like him, mm-hmm. but he clearly cares so much. Mm-hmm. If people like him, he wants strangers to like him and he yeah. wants the crowds to think he's a genius. Um, and he has that great line very well at the beginning of like saying, God sent his only son on a suicide mission, but we like him anyway because he made trees. Yep, <laughs> I wrote that down. I thought that was hilarious. Um, yeah, how are you guys... Like coming into this, like, do you, do you know much about Steve Jobs as a person? Um, no, I can't say I'm I'm an expert on him, but I do know what most people know, um, I guess. So, yeah, I was wondering because like they don't really paint him in a very nice light throughout. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a bit of a dick and stuff, um, but then his at the same time he's very very likable um, in the film. I was wondering if it's it's probably to do with a lot to do with the the writing because it's really like humorous and witty and stuff and you know Michael Fassbender does an amazing job um, but I also wonder if because we all know how like Steve Jobs used to be as a person and how like smiley and you know like mm-hmm. well presented he was so maybe that kind of helps plays into it yeah. Yeah, something I always think is dangerous in any biographical film is all I've ever heard about Steve Jobs off sort of stage is that mm-hmm. he was an arsehole, like from everybody. Right. He was horrible to his mm-hmm. family. He was horrible to his co-workers, like a horrible person um, from so many accounts. Right. But yeah, obviously there's a reason people, you know, like he must have had some qualities and people stuck with him for a long, long time. And it can't mm-hmm. all have been just because of the riches and because yeah. he clearly had a spark of genius in him. Um and I, it's kind of, you, it's hard to know, yeah, do they use then our familiarity with, you know, very smart writing and editing and an actor like Michael Fassbender to let us feel like he does have likable qualities to mm. help us get to the stage that the people around him in real life would have? Or is that, yeah, unfairly actually making him more likable than he was? Mm. Maybe he didn't have those likable qualities <laughs> quite in the same degree. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and Sorkin didn't write out yeah. all of his daily... He wasn't his script, script writer. No. Um, what about you, Ali? Is he I, likeable? I mean, I think I agree with all of the comedic moments being what made him likable for me. And I wrote down that same quote about the trees. And it was also the way he delivered it when he yeah. like goes up at the end. He's like, because he created the trees. And he's <laughs> like flouncing around the room when he says it. Um, but all I knew really coming in or knew about Steve Jobs was kind of when this came out and everyone talking saying, yeah, no, it's a pretty accurate depiction of who he is. He was an asshole and that's what everybody says. So. But I think you're right. They play him just right. Like he is just, there's just enough humanity in him, just enough little moments of us with him on his own where you see all these things are affecting him. It is this wall that he puts up and sure he is naturally an asshole, but again you get that line at the end where he just says i'm poorly made mm-hmm. and yeah kind mm-hmm. of he 
you know, he's a little woe is me sometimes with where he came from and his sort of upbringing and things. And he's got a lot of chips on his shoulders. But, um, but yeah, I feel it walks that balance beam really well mm. with how they portray him. Definitely. Because um, it would have been easy just to be like, oh, no, he was actually a lovely guy. And yeah. this is why he pushed people too much and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. But right from the beginning, he's a fucking prick yeah. <laughs> to everyone. And when he's just threatening that guy, and he's jabbing Wozniak, like, in, sorry, not Wozniak, it's, um, who is it? Because we're going to keep saying his name, so I'm going to get it right. Andy Hertzfeld. Mm. He keeps jabbing him in the chest mm-hmm. of, like, when he's saying, like, you know, I'm going to read out everybody's names and you're going to be down there for failing to get the voice right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, stop touching him. <laughs> like, you can't imagine no one the just punched him at some him. point. It's just insane. Um. And then you go from all of that, like his then, yeah, his relationship with his ex-girlfriend and Lita and stuff. And it's all tumultuous and never ending and just so stressful. Mm-hmm. And then he gets in the elevator and they've already started putting those magazines that he moaned about into the elevator. And I love that transition of they've already started doing what he said and getting them out of like the way kind of thing. Um, and he's all hung up, yeah, on the Time magazine and him not being man of the year because of someone who gave that quote and... I still don't quite understand what happened there, I have to be honest. My second time watching it, um, I, I kind of miss the reason why he thinks he wasn't on the front cover of Time magazine because someone said something. Yeah, no. I didn't really get it room. either. Yeah, I, don't, I thought he was upset just because of the cover, not whatever picture they put on there wasn't actually a Mac. No, well, no, it's because he keeps saying because like, and I'm not on the front cover because fucking blah, blah, blah opened mm-hmm. his mouth and said, like gave some quote or something. It's like it blacklisted him from it, hmm. basically. But I'd have to watch it again and pay proper attention. Um, but yeah, he goes in an elevator and it all just suddenly goes quiet. And you just get like this 30 seconds with him. And it's like really quiet. And you can see he's kind of enjoying that quiet. Mm. And the music stops. And then the second the elevator starts, the music just starts again. And it all just like, ba 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 goes right. back in. And I really like these little pockets of silence that the film gives you. Because... Mm-hmm. Uh, Danny Boyle was saying there's like 382 pages of the script or something like that. Oh, wow. Like it was something enormous like that. Um, and he's saying when you get it, you feel like Aaron Sorkin's a control freak because there's so much dialogue is telling you how to make the film. But then he said he realized actually it's not like that. And it's kind of they're these tools that you can use. And oh. he said he was very lovely and worked with them and helped change dialogue when needed and stuff and wow. helped the actors feel comfortable. But the speed you say Aaron Sorkin's dialogue at cuts it down by half the runtime yeah. anyway because <laughs> you just have to spit it out yeah um, yeah and he's obsessed throughout the whole film with this idea of having a closed um, circuit for an operating system mm-hmm. not allowing people so this is really at a time and it's really for many people including people around this table who weren't alive in 1984 it's important <laughs> I was not, like, alive in 1984 1984 oh, nope yeah can't so. argue that one <laughs> no um, when were you born? Doesn't matter. <laughs> you don't get to say with the day 1994. 93. Oh, wow. You've been uh. alive for a whole year. <laughs> well, this was 10 years before that even. Yes. But it was a time where, yeah, PC were ruling. Like, IBM was ruling and it was all about modding and it was all about, you know, being able to interact with your hardware and change things. So Wozniak has this entire, like in the flashbacks we get, he's passionate about having eight slots so you can do whatever you want and all the way through for 14 years or longer probably from before we start the movie steve jobs is just banging on about he just wants two slots he just wants printer and he wants modem and that's it and it has to be simple 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 and it's it's interesting to see that that never really seemed to come from a business perspective for him it was never him being necessarily smart enough 
to project, oh, people are going to want things simple. Like once computers can do all of these things that they could do, they just are going to want things to be user-friendly. It really seems to initially at least just have come from him being like having a vision. I want machines to be like art and I want them to be beautiful and I Mm. want them to be simple and I want them to be boiled down and yeah, having that constant argument of computers can't be art kind of thing. Um, And he says, fuck you. Yeah, fuck you. (laughs) But yeah, it is interesting though because you can look at him as a genius because he could see the future of how people are going to interact with technology, Mm -hmm. which I think he definitely could increasingly. But it seemed to mostly just come from him having one vision and fuck anybody who gets in the way mm. and he just happened to be belligerent enough to make that work mm-hmm. until people did catch up with him essentially mm. i thought that was interesting because all throughout school it was always the like the mac versus pc thing and it's always like computer science and engineer majors who are vouching for pcs and saying macs are ridiculous and they can't do anything and they don't do anything and yeah it was always the more you know all the communications schools and using mac computers and so that was definitely represented in the first one especially when he then had lisa sit down and it was like here here's how you use the clicker you can't do anything wrong you're not gonna hurt it do whatever you want and so she just gets on and manages to pull up mac paint and paint a picture Mm. and it's just simple you can do whatever you want on it and it's user-friendly for pretty much anyone yeah mm-hmm. and that war still goes on like yeah. it really does like with geeks it's still such a huge thing yeah, absolutely PC versus mac and in terms of usability and all that stuff and mm. and it's weird just thinking about it just how much of a big deal that was obviously for the corporations but growing up in that era not realizing that at all just being yeah. oh max we can do anything with that's kind of cool they're pretty mm-hmm. and simple and i can learn it fast yeah, <laughs> yeah. um yeah, and then he has, um, Wozniak has that great line to him as well, where he's saying, when he's telling him that he can't, he's not going to do two slots and he have to do eight slots. And he says, computers aren't supposed to have human flaws. I'm not going to build this one with yours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is fucking, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so Seth Rogen in this movie, I don't know about you guys, I love him. He's in this so movie. good. <laughs> Did like, people not? No, I'd like, I'd, I'd, I don't know. I haven't read, but I just like, I'm just surprised because I feel about Seth Rogen how I feel about Franco. Yeah. Like, I think he's great at what he does. can't take him seriously. But what he does is just dumb. Yeah. (laughs) So to see him in a serious role, I was worried about it Mm because normally comedians like that, goofball comedians, they do serious roles. You know, yeah, they're good considering they're a comedian. Mm. He's fucking great. Yeah, he's really good. And he's, I mean, he's playing the nice guy role. He's kind of playing like the Andrew um, Garfield role from the social network of mm-hmm. the co-creator who was the nicer guy right. and the other one's the asshole genius kind of thing right um but yeah I just I, I every time it's on screen I'm so happy yeah. his big monologue fight at the very end is so good though it's incredible it's mm-hmm. really great yeah and he has a great beard yeah <laughs> got a great jufro as well he has a great <laughs> jufro <Incredible>. so <laughs> <Yep>. adorable <laughs> the earlier days are really really <laughs> awesome <laughs> I think Michael Fassbender calls him the Rain Man at yeah. some point. Yeah. He totally nailed yeah. that, like slightly awkward genius thing. Oh. Like. And yeah, at the end, not to jump to that, but he is yeah the only one to kind of really call Steve Jobs out, which I love in Other terms of like, what do you do? Kate Winslet. Yeah, but just like mm-hmm. being, what is it you do? Like you don't, you can't code, you don't create, like you don't weld, mm-hmm. you don't actually build. Like what is it you do? Yeah. Um, he plays the orchestra apparently yeah. <laughs> i remember coming out of this movie the first time because i just got to la sort of well i'm just but was in the middle of trying to set up a company there and get the film off the ground 
And I found it really inspiring seeing this film. It makes you feel just lazy as fuck. And just, <laughs> just to see how belligerent you feel. Like, you went for 14 years losing millions to billions of dollars on things, still getting investors to trust in you just because you're that belligerent about your one vision mm. until it just takes off. And it's yeah. like fucking incredible. And arrogant as hell. <laughs> <laughs> Problem is, you don't hear about the people who do that and just lose money, and that's it. Right. Their idea just wasn't do that their whole that life. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we tell everyone they're special and they're wonderful in America. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You just got to be an asshole to be that way. Everyone's brilliant. Everyone's going to succeed. <laughs> that's what La La Land tells us. And that's why <laughs> Moonlight wins the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> God, I had someone on my, um, a whole bunch of people. Actually, I don't want to name people. I don't know if they listen to this podcast. Probably not. <laughs> Apologies if you do. But I had people saying on my Facebook um, thing about complaining that Moonlight won the Oscar because they thought Hidden Figures should have won the Oscar. And they're so upset um. about it because Hidden Figures is like, like these women actually help people get to the moon, mm. damn it. It's like, yeah, but it has nothing yeah, to do with the Yeah, but the Oscars film. are about the movie. It's not about, yeah, your Moonlight achievement as a person. Moonlight was a better film. Like it drives me crazy when people do stuff like that. Of like, what this story is about is more important. It's like, yeah. so sure. it's what the movie is. <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, it's a history thing, way more important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we get our first Danny Boyle mo- moment. I thought I say movement. Movement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he enters that's too pers- the too and does the worm. We get his moment in, uh, which is the projected lyrics of Bob Dylan. Mm. Mm-hmm. That was great. Come that on was the beautiful. stage. I couldn't tell if they're actually projected or not because the first time I thought they were computer generated, just done in post. But this time I was like, they actually look genuinely it, projected. Yeah, because yeah. it was quite fuzzy and yeah, didn't yeah. look. Which I'd love if that was true. Yeah. Which I wouldn't put it past him. Um, but no. Was great. Yeah, again, very restrained. Like that's like his only flourish. I feel in that whole first bit. Mm-hmm. There's one bit where they mention the exit signs. They're trying to turn off, and the camera like whizzes by it in the Danny Boyle way. But mm. like that's pretty much it. Yeah, <laughs> there was probably only like one very Daniel Danny Boyle moment per segment. Yeah, I'd yeah. Say. And I don't know if that was him deciding he didn't want it to get in the way. Yeah, he wanted it to be more. Wanted it to be coming. mature. I was wondering that, mm. or if it was just. I mean, I can't different. imagine mm. it being a lack of freedom, but... Well, I guess because it's so heavily dialogue-driven, if he did anything crazy with the no visuals, it would have been yeah. too distracting. He did say he was quite daunted by like, working with that Aaron Sorkin script. He said it was quite daunting, and particularly after the success of stuff like Social Network. Mm. And it has to play on him. Like, Trance was his last film. Right. Like, that has to play on you. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't do well. Yeah. Um, so you and the 127 hours critically do well, but didn't do that you know as well publicly as it mm-hmm. probably should have. Um, so yeah, that has to play on you a little bit. Yeah. Um, I don't think Danny Boyle's the kind of guy who'd be scared off from his ideas, but no. it's got to be some part of him that's maybe like, well, maybe let's be a little bit more studious with this and mm-hmm. a little bit less experimental. Um, but I actually think, I mean, it's hard to say for ideas that weren't done, but I think it kind of pays off here to be honest like mm-hmm. in the same way as sunshine i don't think sunshine would work if it had the goofy bits that danny ball normally does mm-hmm. i think having a more mature filmmaking style mm-hmm. for that film is what's right for it and yeah i find the same thing here yeah i agree so then we move into the second part of the film um so the the original uh macintosh imac what's the original one called no not imac uh, the blue one, one? Yeah, the original one. Is, they were mm. calling it iMac in this. What did they call the first one? iMac? Mm-hmm. For, no, the, the first one was the Mac, then Next, then iMac. 
The next one was uh, next, wasn't it? Next was the bus. Yeah, but the first one what was the first just one. Just Mac, I think. Yeah. But Mac two. That's what I was Maybe confused about. It was Macintosh. It was Macintosh. It was Macintosh. Macintosh. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, Macintosh is a huge failure. Steve Jobs then gets fired. Uh, Steve Wozniak, Seth Rogen calls him out in uh, in uh, press as an asshole, basically, and Apple sue Steve Jobs. So he goes away and creates the next or the black box. Oh, sorry, black cube. Uh, this skips to 1988 for four years later. It's shot in 35 millimeter. This section. Um, he's developed a black cube specifically for the education market. So he's doing a middle finger to Apple, who that's entirely who they're trying to hit at. Which again, now it just seems so obvious in retrospect. But in my childhood, yes, yeah, what all the schools had mm-hmm. when the iMac finally eventually came out. Mm-hmm. That was the computer everyone had. Yeah. Um, and he's obsessed with having 90 degree angles on the cube. And he gets that interesting little fag, which I love, which he says to his daughter when she's like, why is it got to be one millimeter, like, off? Like, mm-hmm. and he was like, because of... 90.1. Yeah, and he says, like, it's this weird perception thing from humans where we can't see straight lines or something. Mm-hmm. And the exaggerated size is what we need to see a cube, even though it's not actually a cube. Yeah. yeah. Which I like, this little detail. <laughs> Um, and his little and his daughter just going. If I had another ruler, I'd measure this ruler. Like, <laughs> sure, <laughs> it's accurate. <laughs> I thought all of the daughters were great. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. We're yeah. really good. And you immediately know from one shot what I'm saying, like you know who they are. And mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Um, this for me is kind of the most fun section of the movie in a weird way. Like I feel you're selling into who he is, and you have like this. You start to see the sadness in him through his humor he's way mm-hmm. more sort of cheery in this yeah. bit it's like sliding down a banister if he's had that huge argument with which is fantastic with Jeff Daniels um, and then yeah in the orchestra like pit and stuff and there's just these nice little moments with him mm-hmm. and yeah when he says like that he know like Wozniak's like eventually cracks after he's trying to basically get Steve Jobs to apologize to him and then Steve Jobs says you get a free pass mm-hmm. so wasn't yeah, it kind of cracks and then tells him that it's going to be a fucking failure and it's going to be like the worst computer launch in history and he just got to tell me something i don't know mm-hmm. and it's kind of i don't know there's just something more human about him i feel mm-hmm. in this middle section because he's separate from apple he's going out on a limb and then at the end of it all you find he reveals to kate winslow that he's got this big plan and it is like that they haven't yet even built anything yet and yeah. it's all mm-hmm. just about basically psyching apple out waiting for apple make a move and then designing the OS system they want and then selling it back to them and it's this huge 10-year plan right <laughs> which is just craziness and i love that presumably this is all true mm-hmm. yeah that someone could be that ballsy yeah fucking great like i'm gonna create a computer without even having an operating yeah. system yeah. and then apple will buy me yeah it's playing the long and game we'll figure it out when the journalist is like, so what? what exactly is missing? What's not finished? <laughs> well, I guess you'd say the operating Well, <laughs> in layman's terms. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, and you get, okay, so what, I mean, it, when you're dissecting this film, I guess you have to get into like, what's your favorite conversation battle <laughs> in this yeah, movie? Yeah, right. Um, my, pro- possibly one of my favorites is the one he has with Jeff Daniels here, partly because the music in it, it's so, so good. Um, actually, Alan, is that the next one? no it's in this one yeah yeah it's when jeff daniels is sitting with all the chairs overturned mm-hmm. down that hallway yeah and they're talking about why like who fired who basically. yeah yeah I, I, that scene i just that was me away. great yeah like the, the just back and forth between them and the string music mm-hmm. is yeah exceptional yeah and then it cuts to that eight beat up beat 
cheerful music again. Yeah. Although it wasn't quite appropriate because, you know, he just came out from this like massive argument, but then he got his like playfulness back. So yeah, he's immediately was, playful. Yeah. He just puts his guard back up again and it's kind of. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you get him with Seth Rogen in the orchestra pit. Yeah, the kind of cheesy thing of hearing the orchestra tune up while he's in it, but you feel like you're just always in his head, and the yeah. music's just always giving you how he's feeling mm-hmm. when he's walking through these spaces. And Wozniak has that great line as well to him. I just wrote down so many lines because it's like happening. They're so good. Uh, but with the, I'm the only one who knows that this guy here is someone you invented, and that I feel is really important for the audience because you only get two clips of him from the garage, and he does seem a bit different. He's still arrogant, but he seems more yeah. personable. Mm-hmm. And we just get we just get this idea of who he is as he's portrayed so to have that one line of like you invented this person he's not real and you just pretended to be him basically for so long that you've become him um i think it's great Mm. for the audience to understand him a bit more yeah and then just little things like he's washing his feet in the toilet yeah (laughs) what was that about i was a bit confused i don't know it's ridiculous what is doing it must be something that he did like maybe all the time or something (laughs) just like to wash his feet in the toilet and he probably had some weird statistical fact about why it's actually the cleanest place to Mm -hmm. wash his feet (laughs) Um, but then it's even like yeah even his daughter's achievements like um what's his name again i keep forgetting his name uh andy hertzfeld Like comes up to him and says like congratulations on your daughter getting into the school and he has to like still attribute it to himself he has to be well i built that wing or whatever i built that building mm-hmm. yeah and even when he's signing off and going well you know still congratulations to her it probably wasn't just because you built that building it's mm-hmm. like yeah, it probably was something good to talk about though in the interview yeah <laughs> it's like he can't let anybody have anything without it having something to do with him mm-hmm. or his money um which again makes him so hard to like, but it's so kind of <laughs> deliciously enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, is this the segment where you get that cool um, projection thing again with, between him and Kate Winslet? Yes, it is. Yeah, like the rockets taking yeah, off. Yeah, and yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was a, a po- that was done in post, right? Yeah, that has to be. But post. yeah, it still looked really. Yeah, because cool. you're getting like reflection on stuff. It was really mm. cool. Yeah, that was yeah, a really big like moment for sure. Yeah. And I feel like they're really bold because they're so sparingly used. Mm-hmm. So that scene was one scene that quite a lot of people talked about after the movie. Either right. people loved it or hated it again because uh-huh. it sticks out. Yeah. Like, that's really weird. Right. Um, but why the fuck wouldn't you? I don't understand. <laughs> people have problems with stuff like this. I don't get it. <laughs> like, it's just it's just cool and bold. And, um, yeah, and I, th- I think, and the, the, this is from my own personal experience with my life, but I think there's such a, painfully good evolution of his relationship with his Mm ex-girlfriend because you introduced her in that first segment and you really feel for her yeah Mm -hmm. you know you're really 100% on her side yeah um and then he just kind of at the end he's always like okay I'll give you some money and you'll have it and he's very calm and nice about it and it's always his last sentence yeah and just Mm -hmm. walks off yeah and it's like is there anything else and just makes her feel shitty you know horrible for even asking by the time we skip four years later she's this entitled you know, she's just demanding money for yeah. because mm-hmm. of his daughter. Yeah. And she's I still don't believe she's mean at that point, but there's just these cracks in her that he's created by mm-hmm. treating her in that way. You know, yeah. by just solving everything with here, have more money, but you gotta fucking work for it by basically whoring yourself through a conversation, you know. Right. Like you have to make yourself you've got to bring yourself down to such a kind I'm gonna make it so hard for you and you've gotta justify it so much 
And then I'll just go, sure, have some money. Sure, it'll mm. be in your account. Yeah. Which is, so you've got to like mm. drag yourself, your yeah. soul right down and feel like a horrible... And then I just walk out and she's just there crying because she feels horrible because mm, she's yeah. just like having to become a horrible person because he makes her become a horrible person for yeah. money. So then by the time we get to the third section, she's not even there anymore. You know, she's just this mess that we hear about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really, yeah, genuine and difficult way that people don't really write characters and how money relationships can affect people mm-hmm. like that it doesn't just distort you it's like how it's used in ways like that and i feel the way he uses money is very realistic mm. to how people in his position use money a lot of the time where they're not necessarily trying to be mean he thinks he's doing the right thing he's challenging her and then going well obviously i was always going to give you money mm. but what he makes a, the hoops he makes a jump through destroys her whole character and makes mm. her into the person that he's always kind of portraying her to be mm. I think it's really smart. Um, yeah, and the, just the relationship between him and Kate Winslet, I feel it was really building here in a beautiful way. Mm, yeah. And then them in the corridor at the end when he does explain to her his master plan. And she's just like, how the fuck could he Her not? face, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. And her big glasses. Yeah. They're great. They have such a great chemistry. Yeah. They're on, on screen together. They really do. Then we jump to the final part. Like I said, the film ends, uh, the film reels come out, turns digital. Uh, Next has failed. Apple falls on hard times uh, because largely because of the Newton PDA. I fucking forgot all about the Newton PDA. (laughs) We were just in a hire car that that we had and you had to, I think we said to you, but you had to write. We couldn't figure out how to do the navigation system and you had to write on like a sort of track pad a little tiny track pad <laughs> you drew on it with your finger to say f e whatever oh, and it would read it and then translate it and say you wrote the letter e you wrote the letter f when there's a <laughs> this fucking is track in pad this brand space, new car that's but really, oh, that's wow. ridiculous. you could have just had a little keypad down there and just typed it in really quick <laughs> um and i come and when i was watching this i was like fuck yeah that's just like the newton pda and that's why it sucked because <laughs> <laughs> i remember that simpsons episode where they're writing on it and it doesn't write the right thing because of course yeah. it doesn't it's like it's a dumb technology you would write an e and it would be like equal to yeah no it's because like, yeah how i write because it does it likes capital letters and i'd write t but i write t by doing the top bit first which is a minus, yep. obviously. So oh. as soon as I did the top of a T, it was like minus. I was like, fuck. <laughs> You're not doing math right now. <laughs> My wow. address is not A, B. Also, yeah, why is it a function that the car was able to do? You would think that would, if you're entering oh, an know. address, it would be a dash, not a minus. I don't know. <laughs> it's very strange. I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah, and Apple had gone from 30% of control of the market in 1980 to just 3.2% by 1984. Um, which is really important to remember. Apple were, and I remember this time like later on learning about it. Obviously, I was a bit too young at 1984, but I mean. But they were, yeah, on their way out completely. Right. Um, and it would have been a very different world without Apple. Mm. Yeah. Um, but then they fired Jeff Daniels and they purchased Nexus, uh, Next's OS system, just like Steve Jobs had intended. <laughs> and he returns to the company, presumably with a massive payload because... The last time we hear about him, he's a billionaire, apparently. And we're in 1998 uh, at the day of the iMac reveal, which really is, that's the computer that changed everything mm. for the world. Yeah. Uh, not just for Apple, changed how schools were run, changed how people did small business. Mm. Um, 
and yeah, like it had a big part in everyone's lives. I think. Yeah, I remember seeing those IMAX in another Danny Boyle film in the beach. Um, oh, in it the was in the beach. the beach. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. In the internet cafe. Yep. Interesting. <laughs> I also love the evolution of his outfits that you get. Just because the first two, he's yes. so businessy and so like smart, and right? Just tidy. Bow tie and then and, by the last yeah. one, he's just in his classic black turtleneck with like dad jeans that are yeah. too big. Yeah. And he's got like the polo neck belt and jumper on. Yeah. yeah. He's because yeah, that's like the Steve Jobs that you always yeah. kind of see him as yeah. from then on. Really very clean cut. Like, yeah, very kind of looks like a philosopher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's delighted by um, Kate Winslet's strong commercial forecasts. They say he's finally, after 14 years, going to meet the forecast that he first projected, which mm-hmm. is going to sell a million within the first year, isn't it? Um, and the highest computer sales of all time. Um, but he becomes furious that Lisa has allowed her mother to sell the house that Jobs bought for them. Um, Hoffman then reminds Jobs that he threatened to withhold Lisa's college tuition. Hertzfeld admits that he paid Lisa's tuition and suggested she attends therapy. Wozniak again asks that Jobs credit the Apple II team during the presentation, and again he refuses. Uh, Scully arrives in secret, and the two make amends. Jobs and Scully discuss Jobs' life as an adopted child. So this is something that's only hinted a few times, well not hinted, but talked about a couple of times in the film mm-hmm. um, but it is obviously a very central theme is his adoption and yeah. his feeling of being abandoned and not selected and they dangle it a few times and then at the end he makes it very clear no I was abandoned and it happened multiple mm-hmm. times and um, I've never told my real father who he is and he had that yeah interesting scene where it looks like the first time or one of the first times he meets um, with Jeff Daniels character yeah is in this restaurant where his father was running mm. Um, which again, I kind of hope this is all true. Yeah. <laughs> Although presumably that guy knows now. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if he didn't before the yeah. film, yeah. then he definitely. There's a now. nice little tidbit though, and he says that he, other friends of his had overheard him bragging that Steve Jobs always goes into his restaurant. Yeah. yeah. And I feel that tells you everything about Steve Jobs. It's like he likes. Well, from the evidence of this film, he likes to carry around the baggage of I'm a wounded child, I had a horrible mm. childhood, I have all these woes. But when to like, obviously, you don't know your father, like, no, I do know my father, I get to have a relationship with him, he doesn't get to have a relationship with me, and yeah. I get to keep him at arm's distance. Mm-hmm. I can go see him whenever I want, but I don't have to have any shit from him. Yeah, and when he's challenged with that idea of why don't you talk to him, it's like, well, he'll probably sue me, mm-hmm. and that's just his perception of everyone, like, everyone's yeah. gonna want money from me, yeah. Yeah. which is probably true, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's going to see Steve Jobs or something. But yeah, I thought that really just sums him up perfectly. The relationship mm. he wants to have with everyone is, I want to hear that you love me, but in a relationship where I get to control our interaction and I don't have to deal with you, but I can still be around you. Mm. Yeah. Kind of thing. Um, and it's a real, it's kind of, it's a sad scene. I find because Jeff Daniels' character is kind of sad by that point. And mm-hmm it's such a simple thing as well when he's like it doesn't work because of the fucking stylus um on the on the what's it called again newton on the newton yeah which is completely true yeah like it's mm. completely true and it's just even though it worked with nintendo ds for nintendo but, true um but yeah when he just does that thing of like if you use a you stylus you can't use the other five one. ones you have on your hand yeah which is completely again projecting what he's going to do later with yep. the iphone mm. and where he was heading um and then yeah goes onto the roof to chase Lisa to mm-hmm. continue talking. After Kate Winslet threatened that she would 
quit and leave yep. him yeah, if he doesn't him. talk to her. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the combination of, of their scenes and then so they, I think it's their best scene. It's a lovely scene, the mm. two of them in that yeah. as well. Um, it was like, such a great... I love that bit where she's like, he's like, oh, you, you have to know your boundaries. And she's like, you've turned up at my house at one in the morning to clean it. Like, <laughs> where, are the, where are the boundaries? And he's like, let's say that. Let's say that's the boundary. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, then he makes a real point to Lisa of like for the first time, it's all been about being on time, always on time. We never start late. And then it's like, I don't care. I just want to like talk to you and read your paper. And, yeah. Um, and that doesn't happen. But he then promises that he can put 500 songs to a thousand <laughs> in her pocket. Somewhere between there. Yeah. I did wonder at first time, like, why are we seeing her Walkman? Dixon yeah. in 98, not many people had Walkmans. And there was more Dixon in 98. But, right. Um, but yeah, the ethics is the same. Yeah. Um, and I hope that's true as well, that he did genuinely feel he wanted to create the iPod because of his daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then Lisa goes on the side stage to watch her father presenting the iMac, which would indeed go on to be the success they needed. But it's interesting as well, because this is the scene, not this scene, but this is the section where he is presented with the information from Kate Winslet of been 14 years ago and you still don't go over the time magazine thing and guess what it was a statue on that and we, they would have had to have had that created and you were never going to be on the front cover of time magazine yeah and that really does seem to hit him hard with this yeah. thing that he, a because he was stupid enough not to pick up on it and b because that's something he's carried with him for 14 years of mm-hmm. someone robbed him from his chance to be on time magazine's front cover mm-hmm. and it wasn't true and i feel that's all you need to have that little bit of doubt put in his brain of maybe all those other things you're so certain about some of them you're wrong about mm. yeah um but we don't get any context to find out if that would echo on with his future decisions mm. in life but i just yeah for me it's really really mm. smart just giving that one little thing yeah just to place that in him because um towards the end of his life he turned very like zen and he his he he's a buddhist right or he was a buddhist before he Died and stuff. So, I'll look it up. Yeah, so maybe. I don't know. Probably, yeah. Mm, Yeah. Don't know. Um, To continue a little bit, just a couple of lines on his life afterwards. Um, So, from 1997, he continued with the Think Different advertising campaign um, and worked closely with designer Jonathan Ive to develop a line of products that would have larger cultural ramifications from the iMac to iTunes, iTunes Store, Apple Store, iPod, iPhone, App Store, the iPad. Mac OS was also revamped into OS X based on Next Next Step, Next Step platform, which I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Based on that. Um, and then Jobs was diagnosed with pancreatic uh, tumor in 2003 and died on October the 5th, 2011 of respiratory arrest related to the tumor um, and he owned pixar yeah it's a great that is true yeah you owe pixar to him sort mm. of he uh had a sister called mona simpson uh who we've never mentioned in this mm. and according to this he also had four children including lisa mm. um yeah the what was i gonna say uh, yeah, of course. His last, yeah, his last argument, which we touched on earlier with Seth Rogen, that's the other one for me. So for me, like that one bit with Jeff Daniels, and then yeah. that scene with Seth Rogen, because it's public, and like everyone's trying to get the journalist to be taken out of the room the whole time, yeah. so he stays there. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and he's just like i'm not ashamed of this like and he's proud of it yeah like and and Wozniak's just trying to get him just like that thing of like admit that something great happened when you weren't in the room and he's yep. mm-hmm. and it's not that he says no it's that he thinks about it for a second and then just goes no yep mm. <laughs> yeah so good really yeah is. yeah for me it was that scene and then the very very first opening scene that you see with him and Kate Winslet when they're mm. walking around the room preparing for the first show yeah first yep. debut type of yeah Really good. Really good. <laughs> you guys okay? Bit <laughs> yeah. sleepy. No. Nope. It's a long night. It's one forty in the morning. Oh boy. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's testament though to a film like that when it's just talking that it can kill. Like we just watched it just before this and that it can keep you. Well, for me anyway, it can be fully arrested, oh. fully awake. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You didn't get sleepy at any point. No. I was pretty sleepy when we watched Trance. <laughs> um, Imagine what a good script will do for you. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, not to go back to Aaron talking again at the end of this, but I do love him so much. Yeah, especially. And he hasn't written that much. And that's the thing that I find so impressive about Aaron talking. He's written a lot, but not many projects. Yeah. Right. So he started in 1992, and his very first screenplay was A Few Good Men, which, for my generation, was probably the most quoted script growing up, Mm. with all of, like, You Can't Handle the Truth and stuff from Jack Nicholson to Tom Cruise like just an incredible script and then growing up i remembered it being like that's a, the first film where everyone was into the script over anything else to do with the film right and i never realized that was written by him until a couple of years ago mm. then he wrote um malice then the american president which really kind of foretold where he was going to go he did sports night as a tv series which i've heard is great but i've never seen uh-huh. and then he did all of the west wing uh which he wrote a huge majority of um, mm-hmm. but he actually jumped off of it about halfway through then he wanted to do studio 60 on the sunset strip which was an amazing show um the west wing by the way is probably my favorite show ever then studio 60 which came about the same time as 30 rock um which were both based on the same kind of things and 30 rock was funnier so it did better right studio 60 got cancelled after one season then he wrote charlie wilson's war remember that tom hanks film no um so tom hanks i think emily blunt julia roberts philip team hoffman Um, Cast? Mm. Yeah, it's a good film. And then he wrote Social Network. And then the year after that, he wrote Moneyball, which I didn't see for a while because it's about baseball uh, with Brad Pitt. And I'm not interested in baseball. Or Brad Pitt? (laughs) Oh, I'm interested in Brad Pitt. (laughs) Believe me. And that's got Jonah Hill in it, actually, in a great, great role. Um, Fucking brilliant film. You haven't seen Moneyball? I haven't seen it. That's like, it's this hidden gem. Like, again, it's kind of. You have to like Aaron Sorkin. It's just people talking. Yeah. And mostly they're in rooms and talking about managing baseball teams. But it's just like, I'm not really interested in, I'm mildly more interested in computers than baseball. Mm-hmm. But I'm not that interested in how they came up with the iMac. But you see how they do it kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Moneyball's a fantastic film. And then, of course, he did The Newsroom, which was, yeah. Like, it's, it's a much easier series to enjoy than The West Wing. And it's actually all three series of the newsroom are the same length as one season of The West Wing. Oh, wow. wow. So it's a short show uh, and 100% worth watching. It's an incredible show. And then he wrote this. And that's all he's done since 92. Yeah. Not that much. Um, but it's like, that's what I mean with the newsroom. He writes every single episode. You know, mm-hmm. He doesn't give it off to anybody else. Right. Which is so unusual for TV creators yeah. and writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently his next film is Molly's Game which comes out this year and then he's doing a few good men as a tv movie oh cool weird very Um, interesting but he had a very yeah difficult 
uh, life. He had a huge cocaine addiction during um, during the West Wing era. Oh. Which was one of the reasons he had to like stop and had huge battles with it. Right. Um, it was one of the only arguments I remember I ever got into with Tanro. What? <laughs> when Tanro was trying to like uh, justify why some people might be into drugs or might be into cocaine and stuff, and he was like, "Well, Aaron Sorkin." writes on cocaine <laughs> and I was like this is a problem people read a headline like Aaron Sorkin had like did lots and lots of cocaine uh-huh. and his dialogue is very fast so they go oh that must be where he gets his creativity from <laughs> I genuinely know people and I won't say who but I genuinely know people who've tried to write on cocaine because of Aaron Sorkin oh, God. but because they're stupid enough just to read the headline right it's like if you read the articles from him in uh-huh. interviews he's like no I couldn't write because I was addicted to cocaine. Right, right. It's like I was, <laughs> I didn't know how to get through what I was doing with the West Wing. I became so addicted, nothing mm-hmm. creatively was coming from me. I'd write garbage and then read it <laughs> next day and have to start from scratch again. And it's the exact opposite. <laughs> right. But people just read the little bit at the top they want to uh-huh. read. Oh, like, oh I could do that. Great. <laughs> That's my superpower. <laughs> I could be Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Steve Jobs on IMDb, it gets a 7.2 out of 10. Trance got a 7 out of 10. Yeah, that's a little upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. No. Don't understand. No. How are we feeling about our second to last Danny Boyle film? I feel we're all fairly positive, mm-hmm. but it's how positive are we? That's the question. Alia, let's start with you today. Um, definitely very positive. I'm Now that we're getting towards the end of this, I'm trying to sort these out in order in my head and it's difficult don't give away your orders yet no i'm not giving my orders okay. but i'm doing i'm scoring them based on the order that i think i'm putting them in okay because i'm trying to remember what scores i've been giving but i definitely have this on the same level of 28 days later and 127 hours for me which have all well both of them and now all three are eight or 8.5 okay so they're your highest then weren't they Mm-hmm. So it's one of your favorites. Yes, what you're definitely. Okay, great. Is there anything that you would change about it or anything that you didn't appeal to you? Or? No, I like that. I mean, it's like we were saying, it feels less Danny Boyle because there's not the crazy chaotic shots and stuff like that. But I like that for this movie, it works because that's just the subject matter requires more of a mature take on it. And especially with the writing. It would just be so much if it were that dialogue heavy and had all these crazy shots and mm. weird angles and quick movements and cuts. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't make sense. Well, it'd I guess, be like trans. I guess here's the thing then. If you writing. saw this <laughs> film and you weren't familiar with Danny Ball, would you suggest people check out other Danny Ball films? Because that's the thing. I don't think it's a good representation of a Danny yeah, Ball Yeah, definitely not. I would suggest that for me, this film is like, if you enjoy this film, go and check out other Aaron Sorkin things. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I don't know if it necessarily means you'll like other Danny Ball films mm. or not. Um, here we go. You know, I agree. It's it felt very un Well, it's not that it's not very Danny Boyle, but it just doesn't have much of the defining trait of a Danny Boyle film. But then I quite like how liked how um, selective those moments were because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, it was still there, but just not as. And also, uh, probably because you know the the energy and the drive in this film comes from the dialogue and the performance rather than, you know, being creative with the shots and like blah, blah, blah. Bless, Bless you. Peruka's talking. <laughs> That's enough. Oh. <laughs> you quieten yourself. Do not interrupt her again. <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. You are forgiven. I'm just allergic to your opinions. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I noticed that. Um, but yeah, no, 
to me, for me, like to me, this film felt like the polar opposite of um, Trance. Because yeah. I think Trance, <laughs> like on paper, and that it's watchable. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I'm sure, like on paper, Trance sounded like a great film. You know, like it has lots of twists and turns, and it's all like gritty and gangsters and heists and blah 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 blah. But then, because of the writing and the execution of it, was a very film. Whereas mm-hmm. this one, I'm sure on paper, it didn't sound very good because it's just like basically people talking, you know, before product launches. So mm-hmm. it doesn't sound very exciting. The pitch for it isn't yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, because the performance and the writing and the execution was so good, it's, it's, it was it's probably one of my favorite Danny Boyle films so really? far. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's really great. Liked it. Really liked that makes it. me happy. Um yeah i think i've showed my cards completely like like i said like, i was excited to get back to this because i knew i loved it and i loved all the elements i just struggled with coming at it from the wrong angle so it took me the whole film to accept it for what it was and by that point i was out of the theater and kind of confused because i was like well i love all this stuff in it but it, i was expecting something different so it mm-hmm. jarred with me so coming back to it now knowing what it is and accepting how they're presenting me the information fucking like, i think it's a knockout movie i really do think it's there's I think it's one of the best biographies I've ever seen. Mm. Um, one of the most personable and smart ways to write someone's story. Um, I think all the performances are, are incredible across the board. Mm. Like, there's no yeah. one in here weak. Um, they yeah, all manage to stay on top of Aaron Sorkin's dialogue, which is no mean feat. And he's just a fascinating character. And for me, that's what, again, like is missing with films like Slumdog and Trance as well. I mean, he's a complicated character, but not in an interesting way <laughs> Um, but this is an interesting character and the best Danny Boyle films I have to say they tackle interesting characters where they're not at face value necessarily the nicest of people mm-hmm. um, but you get to understand them and I completely feel that you know I understand Steve Jobs a little bit better by watching this film mm-hmm. and can appreciate where that kind of genius comes from and the sacrifices people have to make and the people around you mm-hmm. um, as well um, which is kind of great I think because it does tell the story of the other people as well like you feel yeah. it's 100% always on him in every scene you don't ever cut to a scene that he's not in mm. it's always about him right and the people revolving around him but you understand everybody else mm-hmm. yeah you get those little moments where you like you understand what they have to give just to be a part of his world mm. and I can't imagine Kate Winslet's character if she really worked for him for that long like that's <laughs> the attrition <laughs> it's incredible she calls him out on his shit though yeah, yeah. she's the she only really one great um yeah and i don't know when he got married because she calls him uh, she calls herself yeah his work wife but you don't know when he actually got married again or i don't know if it's during that period or after that period maybe or i don't know it was he married to her no oh no No, no, no. but i just don't know when i think it was probably after dimac that Mm -hmm. were his other you said he has four kids yeah were they all were the others from the same woman no 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 hang on one second let me just look it up again so we can clarify this before we go. Shall we sing an elevator tune while you do the game you show finish? tune? Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so his partner was Chris and Brennan, which is this one, yeah? Um, who was an American painter and a writer who wrote the autobiography, The Bite and the Apple, about her relationship with Apple, co-founder Steve Jobs. She's the mother of Jobs' first child, Lisa Brennan Jobs. <laughs> then you have uh, Spouse, is his wife, isn't it? Which is Lauren Powell Jobs, mm. um, who I have heard of. 
she yeah gave him three children okay um and they married in 1991 so they did marry oh. before seven years ago, eight years before this so yeah yeah just after the middle period they married um and said divorced in 2011 2011 um that's, that's when like he died yeah but that's when he died so yeah. i don't know if that's divorced maybe that's just what they put uh, when they were when they separated yeah she is worth 19.2 billion dollars that's it wow <laughs> that's insane billion oh. 19.2 billion she's an american businesswoman executive and the founder of emerson collective which advocates for policies concerning education and immigration reform social justice and environmental conservation hmm. she is also co-founder and president of the board of college track which prepares disadvantaged high school students for college powell jobs resides in palo alto california and is Very the nice. widow of steve jobs um, she manages the lauren powell jobs trust so yeah, cool. so that is interesting. They don't decide to cover her at all. She doesn't turn up Mm-mm. in the third part in any way. Yeah. Um, but I guess her saying "I'm your work wife" is kind of alludes to that. Mm. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love it. It's definitely. Um, I don't want to show my hand too early yet, so I want to leave it to the end. But it's definitely in my very, very top. My very, mm. very top. Um, Danny Boyle films, and I would give it a strong nine or even a nine point five. All right, guys, we are nearly done. Transponding mm-hmm. 2 will be our final episode up next, and then we have a roundup one. Uh, please head over to iTunes, type in We Are Geeks, We Are Geeks, and we'll pop up. If you can subscribe to us, you'll get all of our Danny Ball episodes. You're going to get our horror ones that go up twice a week where we're going through Nightmare on Elm Street right now. Um, but when you listen to this, who knows? Go and check it out. Um, you're also going to get Twin Peaks. It's about to start. Um, so we've got a bunch of podcasts on that. We have some specials and things. We have a sister podcast as well that I know Adrian's starting uh, called Hollywood and Wine, spelt W-H-I-N-E. Him and the Paramount boys moan about wine Uh, (laughs) or Hollywood. Um, And then we have our weekly topical podcast, Geeks, which goes up every Tuesday. Talking about movies, talking about video games. We are a production company run out of London, LA and Tokyo. And you can check out our movies and our music and all of our social medias by going to We Are Tessellate, two S's, two L's, wearetessellate.com. Um, I'm Mr. Al White on all of the social medias. Haruka is... Haruka Abe on Twitter and Facebook and Ruka.Haruka on Instagram. It's very true. You're nailing it. I'm proud of you. (laughs) And Ali Sue is... It's Ali Sue on Instagram. (laughs) And I'm hiding Uh, everywhere else. Hiding everywhere else. Yep. Thank you guys for joining me. I appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Until then, we're out. Adios. We both went very different directions, yes. but sort well, of. Well, last time we both went English. Yeah. How yeah. did you know? Do you synchronize? We plan it out when you're mm. off mm. sneezing somewhere. I'm glad your time is well spent. In 2013, I'm your host, Al White, and joining me throughout every single Steve Jobs film. Nope. <laughs> That's not true at all. <laughs> Otherwise, it would just include this and the Ashton Kutcher film that came out. <laughs> Oh, I'm not even going to start again. Joining me for every Danny Boyle film. (laughs) And every Danny Boyle, Steve Jobs film.